0: This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org focused on helping you to transform your workplace into a mission field it is our focus it is our desire to see you recognize your workplace as a mission field as a place of ministry and it, it but it takes a paradigm shift in your mind and you know Martha we haven't quoted um, Romans 12 2 in a while but just it's so important we recognize that we are to stop copying the behaviors and customs of this world but let God transform us into the into let god transform our minds Mm -hmm. in changing the very way we think but we want to hear from our listeners
1: we really do jim um recently um we have really been just asking and encouraging people to call in to our listener line which is 866-713-9675 and um, you can leave a message you can let us know you have a minute there so um, a minute to win it, you know. Although you're not winning anything necessarily, but a moment to um, share. What is God doing in your workplace? What is it that um, we want to, you want to hear in your workplace? What are you struggling with? What is a comment? Whatever it might be that God's given you and put on your heart, this is an opportunity for you to um, communicate with us. We can call you back if we need to, if you want us to. But um, we've been when appropriate, even playing that little sound bite on the radio to start off the the question. So this is your opportunity. It's an open forum, 866-713-9675. It could be a hard question. It could be an easy question. It can be a comment. Um, this is just for you, our listeners. So take that opportunity to dial into our listener line and um, let us hear from you.
0: And we've got on the line with us today for the whole show, Jeff Hanan. He's the author of an uncommon guide to retirement he's the founder of the denver institute of faith and work he's involved in writing articles all over the place Mm -hmm. and uh, we wanted to invite jeff to be involved in our opening segment answering a couple of questions from our listeners jeff hanen welcome to i work for him thanks for having me jeff we got a couple of questions i thought would be fantastic for you to be involved in helping answer so from a listener in tampa what if my church constantly and and likely inadvertently supports the idea of the sacred-secular divide. How do I talk to those in leadership to help them understand that my calling and my work is my mission field, which is my workplace, to, to help them understand that I need to be equipped to do my work in, to do my, excuse me, to focus on my, I didn't, I misread the question. Not misread it. Basically what this listener is asking is, how do I help my pastor and the staff of the church understand mm-hmm. that my work really is my place of ministry? I thought you might have a good answer for that one.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. That's something that we get a lot from folks. And and this is what I find. Most pastors, I think, the key word there is inadvertently. They're not trying to say there's a sacred secular divide and, like, only... Uh, church activities matter and what the workplace doesn't. But actually, I found that a lot of pastors, they took a path from maybe college and went to seminary, went into church, and they don't know a lot uh, about people's work, and so they don't maybe have an understanding of what that could look like. Mm -hmm. So some of it's, you know, theological, and we need to have conversations about work and service and vocation and influencing our world as God's people sent out into the world. And, you know, John 14 through 17 that talks about this. But oftentimes, uh, I would say to this listener, um, buy your pastor lunch and walk them around your workplace. I would say start there. Uh, have them understand the relationships the, with unbelievers, the opportunity to serve the well-being of our community with goods and services that our communities really need. Also, the challenges that you face. Have your pastor pray for you in your workplace. If you think there's a lot of different, uh, Uh, activities that we really suggest for pastors to get involved with in terms of equipping the saints for works of service. But the number one one, I would say, is have them go and visit a workplace. It's a good way to start that off and say, hey, let's have lunch together.
0: Mm. You know, Jeff, a lot of listeners, we've talked to thousands of people around the country, and and I don't know that we've ever had anybody say, well, my pastor talks about the significance of my work and, and it being a place of ministry, uh, an, uh, an operational mission field. We don't, people don't hear those sermons. How does a listener, this isn't a question that they ask, it's a question I'm asking, and I know you've got a, probably an opinion on this, how does a listener, how does one of our listeners approach their pastor and say, boy, this is something we'd really like to hear?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, not only the the having an opportunity to just talk it out, But there are some other practices as well, other than, for instance, bringing your pastor to your workplace. But there is some churches that do this really well, and I think sharing those stories are really, really helpful. So to give you an example, Redemption Church in Arizona, they do these things pretty often called uh, all-of-life interviews, and they'll do them from up -hmm. up front uh, in the church, and they last less than five minutes during a service. And they say simple questions like, okay, what's good about your life and your daily work? What's broken? And where is Jesus calling you to be a redemptive influence in that? And then they pray for them and they go. What it is it normalizes sort of conversations about work, both paid and unpaid work, in the context of a church in a way that's really easy for a pastor to do? What I don't think we need to do is, is sort of beat pastors on the head saying, this is yet another thing that they're not doing well. Pastors got a lot they're doing with crises. There's marriages. There's, you know, funerals. There's a lot of things going on. And I think we want to come alongside pastors saying we love you or respect your calling. And there's a broader conversation we can have about the calling, callings of those in your congregation. Mm. That's a good word. I love that.
1: You know, um, w- along those lines, let's encourage our listeners. I know there's a lot of people, mega churches are very popular and common today. And there are a lot of people that don't have a relationship with a pastor or the pastor. How um, can they, how can they still do what you're talking about? Cause I love the idea, inviting them to lunch and walk around your workplace. How can they, do they put that as a prayer request on the thing that goes through the offering plate on Sunday <laughs> morning or, question. you know, how do they start that relationship that they really need?
2: Yeah. I think that's, that's a challenge, and particularly megachurches, because, you know, if there's 10,000 people going to a church, and if you're just the attendee on Sunday, it's not like you're going to hang out with the senior pastor very much, they've got a lot going on. But one of the things I have found is quite effective, even in megachurches, is, is that oftentimes you'll know somebody maybe on the church board or an elder, uh, and oftentimes people that initiate these types of things, local churches or elders, that say, hey, this is important for our witness and our community, it's important for our people's own spiritual lives, it's really important. Uh, and some of those can happen and actually be led uh, in many different ways. Yeah, um,
1: that's that's it, a great point because of the fact that the um, most churches that are that large, there's a deacon or an elder actually like assigned to people. You know, so right. there's someone that they can connect to that has the ear of leadership. I, I like that idea because I think a lot of people just stop because they're like. Well, I don't know anybody, I don't have any, you know, I don't have any say, but yet it's your body. It's your body of Christ that comes together that you're fellowshipping in and and building that relationship. Um, I think the deacon-elder idea is a great idea to start, don't you, Jim? Yeah,
0: I, I do. Jeff, I appreciate your thoughts on it. i got another uh, question from a listener in Portsmouth, mm-hmm. Virginia. Uh, he writes, my son is going to be a senior in high school this next year. It seems that all public education focuses on today are students that are headed to college. My son's really good with his hands. Is there a future for him?
2: Well, yeah, that's a great question. So um, the answer is absolutely yes. But it'll be a little bit more of a nontraditional future than what we generally see in most high schools across America that have more of a college or bust sort of a mentality. There's been a lot of conversations uh, around a lot of secular environments, not as much, I think, in Christian environments, but of this idea of we need to equip all the things to work, so service. Those that get no college, those get some college, and then those get a four-year college degree. So there are a, what I would say to um, your listener in Portsmouth, Virginia, there is a multiplying uh, workplace learning programs, certificate programs. Sometimes these are uh, in the trades. Um, there's one, for instance, in my hometown, Colorado, called the Colorado Home Building Academy, where you can take a eight-week course, get sort of the essentials, and you can get um, uh, uh, some job experience pretty quickly and move out into the workforce. And there is a lot of good jobs, especially in the trades, for those that are skilled with their hands. Um, and I think the role of the church in that context, too, is we need to really start noticing the work of those that are working with their hands. There was one person that I interviewed about who works with his hands, it says, you professionals, you write a paper or something, but if I make a concrete wall, unless somebody knocks it over, it's going to be there in a hundred years. And I think that that the worth of the work and actually taking a look at the built world around us and this son who's good with his hands at building things and saying, thank you for your work. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for building the world that we need. We need to do more of that in our church communities as well.
0: You're listening to I Work For Him, where we help you connect what you hear and learn on Sunday with what you do in your nine-to-five. Why? Because of this whole idea that we need to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field, recognizing that the call on your life, the work that you do, is a gift from God, and we just need to recognize that so we'll approach it differently each and every day that we go to work.
1: That's exactly right, Jim. And just... um. I just want to give a shout out to our listeners as they are going to be um, really intrigued by the conversation over um, the next few minutes. And one of the things that I want to make sure that they know that as we're talking about this book that um, has been written by our guests called An Uncommon Guide to Retirement, Finding God's Purpose for the Next Season of Life, you can call into our listener line and get yourself a copy of this book. We have one to give away. 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. And I just, I believe that listeners are going to find that this is not just for them to give to their dad. This is a book for them to be, you know, checking out now and um, seeing what God has to say to their hearts.
0: That's right. So investigative reporting, do we even know what that is anymore? It was supposed to be an art. An art of hearing a rumor and pursuing it with a vengeance to uncover the truth and present it to your loyal audience who's waiting with bated breath to hear what you found out. But where are all the reporters asking all the tough questions? Where are all the reporters uncovering hidden secrets and exposing them for all to see? I think I found one. Jeff Hanen, he's from Colorado. He's the CEO of the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. He writes for noteworthy organizations like Christianity Today magazine. And he does investigative reporting. We're going to talk through a couple of his major findings. The absence of discipleship ministries to people working second and third shift, people, workers, and other minimum wage employees. An article that he wrote about that, just phenomenal. Then we're going to talk about retirement, uncommon retirement, something that all Jesus followers need to be pursuing. Jeff Hainan, welcome to I Work For Him. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, Martha and I are honored to have you, and, and Jeff, when, when, when I, got a, I got an older brother who's a theologian, and he came across your article in Christianity Today online and said, Jimmy, you got you to gotta check this guy out, you got to interview this guy. And then hmm. when we were in Chicago, yeah, he calls me Jimmy, that's right, that's because he's my older brother. That's right. Uh, then we were in Chicago at the Faith and Work Summit in Chicago last fall, and, and we got several copies of the Christianity Today which highlighted right on the cover your article God of the Second Shift. Before we get to that, Jeff, why don't we just, so our listeners could get to know you better, how did you come to be a follower of Jesus?
2: Uh, Sure. So I became a follower of Jesus when I was 18 years old, and I had kind of a strange story. It was through reading books reading books that was how i became a follower of christ that first was books of apologetics mean over the new testament for the first time uh, and first i came to believe it was true second i saw a transformation starting to happen in my life new sort of foundation for my heart and my identity uh and i kept on reading it's been a part of my life reading and writing for a long time and kind of wanted to solidify my christian worldview before i really jumped in and over time i started to get involved in christian ministry um in my college and kind of the rest is history.
1: So what was it that led you to start? I mean, you didn't just open up a book on apologetics one day and say, oh, this looks like a good reader. Is that how it happened for you? What led you to reading those books?
2: It almost actually did happen that way. I, yeah. was, I'm a, I was a curious guy. Uh, in, you know, a story of God and Satan and angels and demons. As a kid, I grew up nominally Christian, but it kind of sounded like a tall tale. Uh, And so I read the New Testament, I started, but I had some bigger questions, and so I got into everything from some Charles Colson and Nancy Piercy to um, uh, G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis, and I came to believe uh, that Christianity was true. This is actually the truest story about how the world actually is. Uh, and so it was actually an injury I had to my feet. I'm a big guy, I'm a six foot five, big, tall, white guy, and I was playing basketball and I couldn't play anymore. So I had some time on my hands. So I sat by a pool, I read books, and saw my life start to change. <laughs>
1: That's fabulous.
0: So, at what point in time in your life did you realize that connection between your faith and your work?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, on a personal side, you know, i, I took the store I took the path from. I did undergraduate in economics and Spanish, and then I went to seminary. Uh, and I was working in theological education and pastoral ministry for several years, um, and. The connection for me in my own life that made this really, really critical was actually studying about missiology. So if we're interested in being on mission in the 21st century, the workplace is where people have relationships with non-believers, but it's also a way we have to show the meaning of the gospel uh, to the world. Uh, And this showing... Can be in various different ways, everything from how we build a table to how we run a business to how we think about caring for patients. And so the sort of the impetus for me was thinking, we really, if we care about equipping the saints for works of service, and if we're sort of ignoring the 100,000 hours that people are going to spend at work, we're not going to be very effective at being missionaries in the 21st century. So I decided Mm -hmm. to hop in saying this is an area of uh, importance for Christians involving culture as well as just for people's individual daily lives.
1: So I want you to explain something a little bit further because um, our listeners may not really have understood what you said when you when you were talking about showing the showing and and you know in the in the example that you gave about building a table like what is it exactly that you mean by that?
2: Oh yeah, good question. So the Great Commandment, a lot of our work is centered on Jesus' Great Commandment. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Oftentimes when we think of that term, love your neighbor, perhaps we think of maybe an isolated volunteer uh, experience that we have, or a kind thing that you said to somebody living next door. But John Stott in his book, Christian Mission in the Modern World, says that the main way people have to love their neighbor is their Christian vocation. This is where we provide and we serve others uh, with our life. And so I'm sitting at a table right now. If somebody wouldn't have done that act of service toward me, I would not have this table. And the table is beautiful, as well as electricity that I'm looking at, as well as a phone I'm speaking into. When people go to work, oftentimes you think, "Oh, that's just the job," but it's also an act of neighbor love. And I would say that um, in the Christian vision, it's not only about right my personal success. I think that's more the secular vision. In the Christian vision, this is the way we respond to God's voice in our life, uh, as well as we serve the needs of others in all of the complexities of the modern economy.
0: Hmm. So you wrote this article, God of the Second Shift. W- why Why'd you write the article? What would you find out?
2: Well, I wrote the article for a few different reasons. Uh, I've been doing this work for years, and over the years we've had hundreds of people come to our events, uh, particularly professionals, doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, uh, business people. But I realized uh, several years ago that there was an absence of fast food employees and cooks and janitors that were coming to to our events, and I just wanted to ask the question, why is that? I started to get into some of the research, and... About a third of Americans have college degrees, two-thirds don't. And as you start to get into the research, there is a growing divide between professionals and the working class. America's done pretty well for professionals in the last 50 years, but it's become harder and harder and harder for the working class. And I actually realized something that I think a lot of Christian business owners maybe are starting to realize as well, is that I was a part of systems that actually have people that thought and spoke like me, other professionals that are excited about their work, that want to have a big impact about their work, but I hadn't really developed um, a lot of even good friendships with my working class neighbors and people in our uh, uh, in our companies. I see this continually on work with business leaders that I see a large class divide between management and frontline employees, and people can't, they talk past each other, can't understand each other. And so one of the reasons that I wanted to write this God of the Second Shift is if the Faith at Work movement is really trying to equip all the Saints, Works, servicemen Service Daily Work, I actually think the vast majority of those are professionals and not necessarily our working-class friends. That's not universally true, but that's something that I wanted to more deeply understand, even from my own life and what it might mean for kind of this wonderful movement that we're a part of uh, to grow and to spread.
0: It's a phenomenal observation. And and until I read your article, I never thought about the fact that, I mean, because we have interviewed hundreds and hundreds of faith and work focused ministries across the country and i never really thought about the fact that they're not really touching the lives of manufacturing job people in manufacturing jobs or um, fast food workers or people working uh, you know uh, you know retail establishments things like that you know so you're you're the founder and ceo of the Denver Institute of Faith and Work how how are you addressing Capturing the minds of these people and and encouraging them in their work, and you got thirty seconds to answer that question. Then we can come back to <laughs> the next segment. The
2: yeah. Well, that's it's, a, it's a, honestly it's a complex answer. I think one of the things that we can start to do is what I wrote up a little bit about the article, seeing through working class eyes. We need to start to see the world a little bit differently. I shared the story in the article about a guy named Doug Muter, whose dad worked in a factory that made cattle feed, and it was a good job that had paid enough to support his family, but he also came home every night stinking like fish oil. And he really wanted to understand his own dad's work as he was a a journalist. Um, And he said, um, look, people inside of working-class jobs are not thinking about living out your calling or pursuing your bliss, you're selling your time for money, and if you want to get out of the maze, which is the challenge oftentimes of our working-class neighbors and get your kids out of the maze, you have to show up every day and do something you'd rather not do. I actually think we need to start really, really listening and reorienting ourselves to think, tell me about your life and your family and your community. Talking today
0: with Jeff Hainan, and he's got lots of different titles, lots of different focuses, but really the number one thing driving his life is helping you and me to connect our faith to our work and really our faith to all of life. I first got introduced to him reading an article in Christianity Today, God of the Second Shift. and We're going to get back to Jeff in just a second about that, but he's also written this book, the Uncommon Guide to Retirement, and he's got a, a, a website, Uncommon Retirement, and he's also, if you really want to track him, just track him out, out online, Jeff H A A N E N H-A-A-N-E-N.com, Jeff com, and all of that, of course, will be on our Facebook feed.
1: That's exactly right. And um, one last thing, that I don't think you said the Denver Institute for Faith and Work, so I, all I, of that will be out there for your reference. But remember, listeners, as you are listening to the conversation today, if you're intrigued by especially what we're gonna be talking about in the area of retirement coming up soon, you can call our listener line at 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK, and uh, leave me your information. We'll send you a copy of the book, An Uncommon Guide to Retirement. And while you're doing that, leave us a comment or something that you want us to talk about on the air in the near near future.
0: Jeff, I had to interrupt you when you're answering a phenomenal question about what is the Denver Institute of Faith and Work doing to reach these second and third shift workers, these fast food workers, retail establishment workers, you know, and again, DenverInstitute.org, DenverInstitute.org. How are you touching lives? Because you got all kinds of manufacturing, you got all kinds of people living in the greater mm. Denver area. How how are you reaching these people?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, it's a little bit of attention for us because our organization, the last five years, was built around particularly serving professionals as I think about how to serve God in their work. So I wrote this article on the front end of thinking there's a there's a gap here, uh, and I think it really does start with understanding um, our working-class neighbors and kind of what they're going through, the good work they're doing that we don't oftentimes uh, recognize, as well as that the challenges they face. So the particular stuff we're doing right now is we're working on a couple things we were about in the article, working on issues of um, job quality. Uh, what's a good job and how can we design jobs that would really benefit people in all areas of the company. But we're also trying to change some of the conversations that are particularly prevalent in professional communities, even around, say, do what you love. It's a very typical thing that we hear in professional communities that you just got to do what you love and you'll never have to work another day in your life. But let's admit it's Much of work done in Blue Collar America isn't done out of love for job, but Christianity says the prime motivation for work isn't enjoyment, but is love of God. Uh, Whatever you do, work out of all your heart as we're working for the Lord, and um, this, I think, includes all sorts of different kinds of work. So what we're trying to do is shift some conversations in the broader Fight the Work movement that we think can start to pull in our friends um, that we work with and work alongside of each and every day
1: you know that you man there's so many things here i just want to comment on and one of them that i was thinking about jim is just this whole conversation that we have had on our radio show many different business owners that their employees fall into the category you're talking about they're either working around the shift you know 24 hour manufacturing office cleaning um they're employing those people that are working, you know, the the second shift as we're referring to here or in those um, blue collar jobs. And so the impact that that business owner has on the people that they employ and how they're loving them and how that, you know, they're um, serving them for the, you know, with a kingdom perspective is really um, a huge impact, but it's not the only one because the not all Christian business or all business owners are, are believers and have that perspective So, but I want to just give kudos to those that are seeing the stewarding of their employees as, as being such a high priority, because that's really one step in this direction.
0: Jeff, you said that it really all starts with understanding people who work in jobs that we would not classify as professional jobs. So people that are working Mm -hmm. with their hands, people that are working, um, with their hands and feet each and every day, uh, How do we gain that understanding? Because a lot of people who are professionals who are listening to the show don't live in the same neighborhoods as those people working, you know, manufacturing jobs or fast food jobs. I mean, how do you gain that understanding? How do you get exposure to even do that?
2: Yeah, that's a good you point out that sort of geographical segregation. That is actually true. We're not living in the same neighborhoods, which I think is a problem. One of the things we can do is start to live around people that are different from us. So I think that is important. But the reality is we're not talking about an overseas missions project here. We're not talking about necessarily the homeless. We're actually talking about the majority of workers. And the majority of workers are everywhere. I think the challenge in kind of modern American life is that we become pretty relationally um, segregated from folks. Um, my own, uh, my own experience is, you know, I had kids. Um, I, I mean, I grew up with a single mother, taught public school. I made it through college, got a master's degree. I got my first low-paying job, but because of my own. Kind of educational and social networks. I took a risk, a risk, and I met influential people who connected me more to other influential people. And then I, uh, I did, uh, you know, a swim team, and we met more work, uh, more professionals. Uh, and I realized that I just had this reflection this last week watching my kids swim me, of the time and the money and the commitment from two parents that are working together on this is totally uh, uh, inaccessible to the majority of our working class kids in our community. I think the reality is we need to get into context where we can hear and listen. And this can be as easy as if there is a janitor that's cleaning your offices, uh, get to know them, buy them lunch, ask them about their family and what they care about. Not only about their work, because oftentimes people in working class communities, they don't find necessarily the same kind of identity as professionals do <laughs> at their work, but ask them about uh, their uh, what's important to them. These are not necessarily impossible conversations to have, but they probably are uncomfortable.
0: Mm. Have you seen, I mean, again, it even goes to the churches that we go to. We tend to be segmented by occupation, even in the churches we go to. Do you see churches? Do you know of any churches out there? You mentioned Redemption Church in Arizona uh, uh, on how they are doing all of life interviews. Who's the pastor of Redemption Church in uh, Arizona?
2: You know, I don't even know. My friend who works at Redemption is Jim Mullins, He leads a thing called Surge Network and do a wonderful ministry on faith and work ministry. So we talk a lot about this. I interviewed Jim for the article, uh, got of the Second Shift, because he grew up in a white working-class family. He really helps me to understand, so that's why I brought so, up Redemption.
0: So do you see churches that are doing a really good job integrating professionals and non-professionals together?
2: So interesting, the sociology will tell us that a lot of even mega churches, not only mega churches though, but even a lot of um, uh, evangelical churches in America, that they tend to feel much more comfortable to professionals for a few different reasons. Uh, so after the article, <laughs> I'll tell you this story. It's kind of yeah. funny. After the article, I posted on my on my personal website, com, about the article, and a guy commented on it. And it, it, the comment was about church. He says, Imagine going to church. And the back of your uh, worship set is a bunch of old copiers and printers. Well, that's how I feel when there's a bunch of pallets that are on the back end of your worship set, because pallets and old wood is cool. For us, that's just old wood. (laughs) That's terrible throwaway wood. And I'm like, Wow. Diana Gaines and the Etsy movement—that actually is very much a part of the ethos of a lot, a lot of kind of professionalized churches. But to say that there is also a lot of good churches in America—they're uh, probably not as big necessarily—but there's a lot of good churches that have working-class communities that are in it. They do a lot of potlucks and barbecues. I interviewed a guy named Kent Duncan for the uh, uh, for the article. Um, And he's doing some really wonderful work in studying and understanding his working-class community and starting to notice their work as well. So there's a contrast there, but there definitely is, Robert Putnam and our kids will say, um, uh, there are upper-class tones to a lot of evangelical worship music in America today. Mm.
0: So let's be, before we run out of time in this segment, let's talk about your book, mm-hmm. an uncommon guide to retirement. Okay, you, you're talking about, you, you're the you're the CEO and founder of the Denver Institute for Faith and Work, but now you're talking about retirement. What led you to write this book, an uncommon guide to retirement?
2: Yeah, well i I care about uh, well I care about a lot of things, but I care about areas where we haven't talked about how faith shapes to work in certain areas. So the working class, of course, is one of them to connect that. But uh, the largest growing segment of American population today is people that are retiring and exiting the workforce all- uh, altogether. So part of it was actually saying, well, what does it mean if you're retiring You know, anywhere from 62 to 67? Uh, what does it mean to live a long, healthy, good, fruitful life even in or even after retirement? Uh, a part of the question, too, is even um, I saw my own parents go through retirement and asking questions about, okay, okay now what? what do I do? Uh, What is my sense of purpose? What does it look like for me to um, live a good life? Uh, And there were some real hard, difficult questions about calling in that season of life, too. Um, The stats around the folks that are moving into retirement, too, is pretty stunning, too. So I think there's a great opportunity as the world is aging, actually across the world, to talk about what does mission look like later in life.
0: So what have you seen? Have you met some retirees that get it? Because this is a passion. This is a personal passion for mine. We actually developed and are developing the I retire for him covenant. Just, hey, people, people that are, we call them chronologically superior because of Grant Skeldon out of Dallas, Texas, who wrote the book, The Passion Generation. He wrote it specifically to retirees. And he says, please, us younger generations want to run alongside you guys. We, we need you to feed into our lives. Do you see anybody, I mean, what, what do you see in happening? Because we, we need to shift this because the people that are chronologically superior, the young people desperately need them in their lives.
2: Yeah, I think this is both. And you're touching on one of those things of mentoring or what I call intergenerational friendship in the book, that we can do a better job in churches as well as in places of really developing strong friendships. Um, yeah, there are people that are doing this really well. There are people in uh, across America that are starting to pause and say, what is the culture around retirement? Is that something that I really want? Is the retirement vision of the the dream on the beach? Is that what I want or not? There's people that are starting to pause and take seasons of rest before re-engaging in seasons of volunteering or work or caring for family. Um, there are people on there. One of the people that I wrote about um in the book is a guy named Gary Randrark. He He's a retired physician. He's in his late 70s. And um, as he has uh, slowed down, in some senses, he hasn't slowed down. He had an enormous influence on me as well as on nonprofits around our community. He continually serves on board to continually right. teaches. He has more time for grandkids. Um, and he's coming out of a deeply healthy heart. And so when I asked him about kind of why don't you retire, he says, look, I believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I keep on giving, so I can get more blessings. That's right. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good way. That's a good way to think about it. And it there is. are people doing that.
0: You're listening to our work for radio show with your host Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We've been talking with Jeff Hanen from the Denver Institute for Faith and Work, Uncommonretirement.com, Retirement denverinstitute.org. You just this is there's just so much out there that Jeff is that you're connected into. You know, right before the break, we were talking about your, your book, An Uncommon Guide to Retirement. And is it possible for Christ followers to find biblical purpose in their retirement years?
2: Yeah, of course. I think we can find re- I can, we can find biblical purpose in any years. Uh, one of the things that's think I put a little quote from Dwight Moody, it says, don't expect to wake up when you're 65 and all of a sudden have this sort of magical sense of purpose, what you're going to do with your life. If you didn't have it in your daily work, you probably won't have it in your retirement. So these conversations go hand-in-hand hand about work and retirement. But one of the things that uh, I talk about in the book that I think is an important practice for us to consider is that a lot of people move into retirement move immediately move into the vacation mentality. Here's all the things I could never do, and I'm now going to do it. I'm going to see these things and go these places. But the word vacation comes from a Latin root, which means to uh, empty. And often things, oftentimes, we try to empty or vacate uh, our lives. Rather than take a season of deep rest and actually ask what God is calling us to do, uh, what God is calling us to do this next season. So, to your question of what does it look like to find biblical purpose, I actually think it's a little uh, counterintuitive. But I think first we need to think about taking a season of sabbatical rest to quiet the heart, heal past wounds, and reengage as Jesus' followers in the next season of life.
1: So, those are points that you're talking about in this book, An Uncommon Guide to Retirement.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's the second chapter is on sabbatical, the third is on calling and then the fourth is on work.
1: Beautiful. So, so don't forget to callers can call in and get a copy of the book at 866-713-9675. I sound like a broken record today, don't I? No, you know. But I want to make sure that the listeners know that the, you know, this is an intriguing conversation but we cannot possibly talk about every aspect of it. As you've heard Jeff Hanen has a big vision big purpose on his life and so one of the things that you can get as a resource today is an uncommon guide to retirement by calling 866-713-WORK.
0: And also check out on Facebook we've got a new Facebook page I Retire for Him right?
1: <laughs> yes we're it is not no. it is not up to speed yet no, but I your- just saw my dad just posted another thing while we've been talking on the air so people can check out our very new, very undeveloped. I Retire For Him Facebook page. And
0: it's I Retire, the number four, him. And and understand, our point is to be uh, uh, just driving this conversation. It's not like we're going to have some product that we push, but Mm-mm. there's so many great organizations we've run into out there that are just opening up this idea, Jeff Hainan, that, that retirement, that it's not supposed to be 30 years of getting seashells, playing golf, and and watching the grass grow in your backyard. That, that God never intended for us to check out
2: yeah that's a good question the stats say that there's two activities in retirement that grow more than any other one is entertainment and number two is home improvement <laughs> uh, and so i think as to push across those and think those are fine you know uh, when we're not against taking a vacation or watching the occasional movie and hanging out with your friends those are all wonderful things too But the calling of God, the mission of God, those things don't change. What I think that we do need to think about and really embracing in our Christian communities is pushing against sort of uh, entertainment vision of retirement and embracing what I would call an elder vision. There's a strong tradition in the Bible of elders, people of wisdom and blessing that were there for a future generation that you shared your experience in your life with. Um, and that uh, had a critical influence, even on the shaping of uh, Israel's history. Uh, and not only in terms of elder, in terms of like the New Testament office, something to do at your church, but somebody uh, that is actually having uh, influence. Cicero says the crowning grace of old age is influence. And I don't think we think about that in retirement. We don't think about, you inf- actually think about retreating from life rather than saying, how am I going to shape? future generations, there's a great opportunity for Christian people to say, uh, as the world ages, uh, we can be engaged as elders in our communities.
0: So how is the Denver Institute for Faith and Work engaging the retirement community, the Christ-centered retirement community how, uh, that, that have past professional or work experience, how are you engaging them with your younger members?
2: Oh, with our younger members. Well, that's a good question. We're just starting off with some resources and thinking about this because I think it's an underdeveloped conversation. We've got some resources on uncommonretirement.com. We are doing uh, an event in August here in the Denver area for pastors and financial advisors as well as folks moving to retirement. But really, uh, our financial advisors are the people more than any that talk about retirement and getting a biblical vision into uh, their uh, hearts and minds. Think is really critical as well. Uh, and then we're, I'm going to be talking too about the ways churches can spur on intergenerational friendships inside of congregations. Oftentimes, I think one of the models of church in the last, since really the speaker movement started in the 70s and 80s, has been age segregation. Youth group over here, then the young marrieds, you know, and the young singles, and then you have the seniors ministries. But Really, we need to start pushing against that and bringing together the preschoolers and the elderly, the, the the older folks, and then people in retirement, even young professionals. Like we need to start bringing them together and asking questions of common purpose.
0: I love that, and you're right. That's something we've we've pounded the drum on several times. We've got to stop age segregated small groups. Yeah because chronologically superior people need to be hanging out with the younger people because the younger people desperately need them. Uh, so people can check out Uncommon Retirement online, uncommonretirement.com, uncommonretirement.com. And uh, so I I want to ta- talk more. There's so much more stuff I want to talk about, but you've got a manifesto for financial advisors. Talk about that. What is this manifesto
2: all about? Yeah, so I put this as an addendum on the website, uh, OncomingRetirement.com. But one of the reasons I wanted to speak to financial advisors, we work with financial advisors at the to on how faith can shape our work, of course, as a financial advisor as well as visions of investing. But the people that talk about retirement more than anybody else in America are people who work in financial services. And I think there's a good way to talk about it, and there's a very broken way. I think the broken way, the cultural way says, We need to drive people to give more and more money to save for retirement that they probably won't save enough and cause kind of unending concern and fear of whether or not I've saved enough. Actually, the stats that when people retire,ment is that they tend to give less money when they move into retirement because they're afraid financially. I think there is a good way to push against this, and a few things that I talk about in this manifesto is that financial advisors have a really important part to play. Uh, in an aging world, in helping people save money for when they can no longer work, to live a life of generosity, to invest in businesses that align with God's good purposes for the world, to spend wisely, and then to really help people to, I think it's something that would be kind of cultural, to say, what do seasons of work and rest look like over the course of a lifetime? the idea of you're going to save up your big principal and then spend it all down for 20 to 30 years, that kind of needs to go to bed, I think. Leviticus 25 has this vision of you work for a season and then you rest for a longer season and then you work and then you rest. Actually, I think that's a, that's a biblical paradigm based in the Ten Commandments of so seasons of work and rest. That makes sense. And I think financial advisors could start asking some better questions there. That's a good word. Love that.
1: It, it really is because we were, you know, we just met with a f- friend of ours who was on a sabbatical for three months and that is a lost um concept i think i don't even think our kids would know what that word means mm. and yet what a what a beautiful thing you know it's just like training for anything you train and then you rest and you train and you rest because your body needs to recuperate yep. i'm really drawn to this idea <laughs> I, well, we
0: have one of our listeners from canton georgia last night said to me jim you probably could use a sabbatical after six and a half years on the radio. I'm like, yeah, that would be a dream. If I could get a 72-hour sabbatical, it would be really neat. All right, Jeff, we want to talk about the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. We've got a couple minutes left. What is the biggest issue that you see in your community? And I know Denver's a big area with millions of people. What's the biggest issue you see in your community that the Denver Institute for Faith and Work is addressing?
2: Well, there's a lot in our community that we're addressing, but if I was just going to choose a single one, it would be this. Um, Work is not about your personal success or yourself. It's about loving God and loving others. We live in a very independent, very hyper-individualistic culture where people, whether they're working or whether they're going to the mountains on the weekend, tend to think about how this fits into their own best version of themselves. Uh, and I say, if we're going to push on anything, we're Christians. Um, this is about dying to self and living to God and living for the sake of our neighbors. So, if we we're going to change any one paradigm in our city as well as in others across America, I'd say the vision of work about your own success versus uh, responding to God's voice um, and caring for the needs of our neighbors—that would be the—that'd be the biggest issue. that so we certainly we talk on all sorts of civic issues in our city.
0: Speak to our listeners. Last question. Twenty-five seconds. Give them, give them a little advice on today that they're listening. How can? What's the best way that they can express living out their faith in their work today?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think it starts with our personal spiritual formation, taking your personal, uh, maybe even uh, time of prayer, uh, a Bible study, a celebration, bringing those, integrating zone to your own work life. People are going to look at the people of God and think, "Is that something that I want? Or is that person?" Isolate their faith from their work? Does that person, uh, are they angry? What does that person look like? And so who we become is the best witness we have. Um, Jeff
0: Hainan, thank you so much for being on I Work today, for sharing about the Denver Institute for Faith and Work, about UncommonRetirement.com, and about the God of the Second Shift, your article. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to I Work with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I I work work for for him. him.